I invite you to open your Bibles to the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7. In Fergus North, we've begun a sermon series on the book of Proverbs. And the book of Proverbs, in many ways, is similar to words of the Lord Jesus Christ, especially in Matthew chapter 7, 5, 6, and 7. We'll read Matthew 7, 12 through 27, then a little bit from Proverbs 1, where you also find our text. So Matthew 7, starting verse 12, there the Lord Jesus Christ says to us, So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Enter by the narrow gate. The gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter it by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them, will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand, and the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Let's turn now to where you'll find our text, Proverbs chapter 1. Our text will be the last verses of that chapter. We'll start reading at verse 20. Wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the markets, she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy street, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gate, she speaks. How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? If you turn to my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. Because I have called and you refuse to listen, have stretched out my hand and no one has heeded. Because you have ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof, I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you. When terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you, 
Then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me. Because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. Would have none of my counsel and despise all my reproof. Therefore they shall eat the fruit of their way and have their fill of their own devices. And here's our text. For the simple are killed by their turning away and the complacency of fools destroys them. But whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. Let's sing after the sermon from hymn 64. That's the beautiful words of Lord's Day 1. Set to rhyme and music. Hymn 64, 1 and 2. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know how many promises there are in the Bible? I'm thinking specifically of promises that God makes to us. It's amazing there are any at all, of course. God doesn't owe us a thing. But in Scripture, the Word of God, we are given one promise after another. Maybe you have a favorite or two of those promises. Well, you have a lot to choose from. In fact, you can have your favorite from 7,487. That's what one man calculated years ago, going through the Bible verse by verse. 7,487 promises. I did read another estimate. It's amazing what you can Google. That no, there's 3,573 promises in the Bible. I did not have the time to check which one was correct. I'm inclined to believe actually the higher number The word promise is not always specifically mentioned. Think of the Beatitudes, for instance. But time and time again, thousands of times, that's what a verse in the Bible does amount to. A promise from our God. In fact, you could say the history of this world is the history of promises. And also competing promises. Ever since Genesis 3, twisted, distorted promises have entered this world. You shall be like God, promised the devil. Every sin has a certain promise to it. But God counters all of that with promise after promise after promise. And it begins with even the biggest promise of all in Genesis chapter 3, the gift of his own son. To be a deliverer. Here in the book of Proverbs, we're also given promises. We're also given lots of warnings. We'll deal with that too. But also many promises. In fact, the first nine chapters of the book of Proverbs are all this. Wisdom calling out to us to listen to her because... This is the promising, a promise-filled life. My son, listen to me, for by me your days will be multiplied and years will be added to your life. 9 verse 11. 
you would think that wisdom would have its own appeal. You would think that we would just want to be wise. No, we need that encouragement. Just like the Lord Jesus Christ who says things, who promises things like, I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. John 10 verse 10. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Matthew eleven twenty eight. And this is no little thing. You know, sometimes when we think of wisdom, we think of, you know, pithy, popular sayings. But the book of Proverbs is not like that. The Proverbs of Scripture are not sort of sayings like, you know, look before you leap or a stitch in time saves nine. It's true that Hebrew Proverbs, they often are poetic and they have alliteration. In fact, our text, verses 32 and 33, each of those verses is only seven words in the Hebrew. These Proverbs are very artfully done. But don't be mistaken. The book of Proverbs, the setting, is in an emergency room. What I mean is that this is not just beautiful poetry. It's not even just sort of helpful advice. This is a matter of life and death. A matter of eternal life and death. And so I put the sermon under this theme. Two paths, two choices. The easy way that leads to destruction. The obedient way that will make us at ease. So as we open up this book of wisdom, just a few more introductory remarks about it. What is wisdom? Well, wisdom in the Bible is something very practical. It's about knowing how to do things, knowing how to live. Wisdom in the Bible is certainly not just ideas. It's it's not a philosophy or something like that. Creatures around us in creation, they have wisdom and that they know how to live, they know how to survive. In the Bible, an artist has wisdom. He or she has skill and craftsmanship. A farmer who knows how to farm has wisdom in a biblical sense. Wisdom means you know things and you know how things work. Wisdom is about knowing reality. And navigating reality as opposed to living in your own sort of fairy tale world. That's what the foolish do. And wisdom is a gift. Some scholars, when they look at the book of Proverbs, think, well, this is like the accumulated wisdom of many Israelite generations. But the very first verse of this book, which we didn't read in chapter 1, but it tells us that these are the Proverbs of Solomon. Now, they're not all from Solomon, but that title gives you an important and critical perspective. Solomon. He was a wise king. He was a sinful king. But he was a wise king. You can remember the Queen of Sheba 
came from miles to hear him and you know how he judged faithfully between those two women and their two children where did solomon get his wisdom we're also told that that it was a gift of god that the lord appeared to him in a dream in 1 kings 3 ask whatever you want and solomon did not ask for riches or a long life but for wisdom So that heading then over chapter 1, that these are the Proverbs of Solomon, tells us very clearly, wisdom comes from God, not us. Proverbs 2.6, For the Lord gives wisdom, from His mouth come knowledge and understanding. Have you ever had it? Where you're sort of maybe bogged down in a situation, And you really need an outside perspective. Someone who can see into things. Someone who can see what, you know, you can't see. Maybe you're too deep into it. Maybe you're too beat up or cynical. Well, that's what wisdom is in Scripture. It's God's perspective. It's the guidance of the one who is above us who sees us in our sin and misery, who sees life far better than we do here below. So wisdom, and that's also very clear in these first nine chapters where wisdom calls out something you need to seek, something you need to ask for. You and I do not have it naturally. And we live in a world, of course, that claims we do. Do we see how antithetical the Word of God is here on this point? Our culture says you find the way to live by looking in here, inside yourself. We even have sayings like going with your gut, doing what feels right. The book of Proverbs says That's ridiculous. That's foolishness. Do you see a man wise in his own eyes? There's more hope for a fool than for him. Proverbs 26.12 Biblical wisdom begins by us saying, Lord, I don't have wisdom. Teach me, Lord. Help me to see. Help me to listen. We call this the book of Proverbs. But that can be a misleading term. Because I think the word proverb in English, doesn't it give you the impression that it's a kind of popular saying that everybody sort of knows? But the biblical proverb is also a mystery, a riddle, even a kind of parable. 1 verse 6, the words of the wise and their riddles. Proverbs have to be unpacked. And if you haven't sort of done that, you don't really understand them. They're not obvious. And that's one of the reasons, sorry, still in this introductory section, why this whole book is structured in a father-son relationship. Again, that tells you that wisdom is not found in your peers, 
It's found in those that God gives you, in your, your parents, for starters. And it also, this father-son relationship tells you that wisdom is a matter of growing up. For you, as a young person, very clear that there's things that you need to learn. Well, you also need to learn the Proverbs of life, the, the wisdom to live life. So these are not only the Proverbs of Solomon or Agur or whoever. They're the words of a father and also a mother because fathers and mothers are to do that. Teach, instruct, show, be a gift themselves to their children. Unpack the mysteries of life for them. So these are not the words of the king, Solomon the king. They're not the words of a tyrant or a dictator. These are the words of a father. One in the home. The one who's given to us to to care for us. And lastly, we would also need to Make this and all the sermons on Proverbs New Testament sermons. It would not do to simply mention the Lord Jesus Christ at the end of a sermon for five minutes. No, we live in the New Testament age and that is basic and fundamental to our lives. So we need to see as we read the book of Proverbs These are words given to us by the Lord Jesus Christ. And they are words about Him. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians, He is our wisdom from God, our righteousness and sanctification and redemption. We are wise when we look to and believe and follow and listen to our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So the book of Proverbs, it's not just a collection of tips for a better life. This is also about the life of discipleship. How we too are called to trust in and to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where wisdom is found. In fact, if you know your New Testament, you know the words of the Lord Jesus Christ are very similar to those of Proverbs, like in our reading. Solomon puts before us two ways to live. Solomon has wisdom calling out to us. Our Lord Jesus Christ is the same. Also, there's only two ways to live. He too calls out to us to listen. So let's now look at our particular verses. The simple are killed by their turning away. Now, there are various words in the book of Proverbs for those who resist wisdom. There are the mockers, for instance. You can read about them in the book of Proverbs in many places who love to to mock. there There are people who almost get infected with this. The desire to always criticize, to, to troll. We see plenty of that on the internet. Here we hear about the simple. Now this is a more neutral word. 
It means that those, those, are, those who are immature, inexperienced. It can also mean the naive or the gullible. The simple are people who can be persuaded fairly easily one way or the other. There are different types, after all. Some are hardened in their sin, for whatever reason. Very angry at God. Some of us might sadly be deep into the mud of addictions. But some of us are just more simple. These are the mildest sort of fool, as one man writes. Then there is, in the second part of this verse, the fool, the complacency of fools, destroys them. The Hebrew word for fool comes from a verb that means to be fat, to be thick in the head. That that works in English, too. The fool is someone who thinks they have nothing to learn. The fool is very smug, proud, overconfident. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his own opinion. Proverbs 18.2 Fine speech is not becoming to a fool. Proverbs 17.7 A fool is crude. A fool just blurts out what's ever on their mind and doesn't care. But this is what should sort of shock you. And this is the riddle of our particular text. The simple. The simple are what? The simple are sort of dull and boring. The simple are taken advantage of. No, the simple are killed by their turning away. Killed. That Hebrew word is used in the book of Exodus for an execution or a murder or being killed in battle. The fool. The fool is what? Foolish. The fool is impossible to talk to. The fool is destroyed by his complacency, his smugness. He is consumed. He perishes. He's lost because of it. You see, you and I are tempted to think it's no big deal, really. I mean, the this, this simple person, they don't look that bad. They're very easy to get along with. They, they don't offend anyone. The fool, well, they don't, of course, call themselves fool. The fool is someone who feels, who seems very confident, at ease. They act like they, they don't have a care in the world and they've got it all under control. That is not the full picture. This is the path of death and of destruction. The big question then should be, well, well, why? How? There's a number of things that we can mention. First of all, the book of Proverbs reveals that there is an order in creation and in this universe, and to live contrary to it 
whether you like it or not, is to invite destruction. Sure, the fool wants to take it easy. The fool says it's no big deal. The simple, they're just going along with the flow. They're just doing what everyone else is doing. No, there are consequences. And that's a huge part of the wisdom of the book of Proverbs. Explaining and showing and demonstrating that there are consequences when you might think there's none. If all you do is sit around and eat, you will put on weight. And you'll likely have heart troubles or or, or worse. If you don't do anything about your garden, it will be taken over by weeds. It's no different spiritually. Your soul can be taken over by weeds. Your spiritual arteries can harden. If you're self-absorbed, self-focused, your life will be self-destructive. The Apostle John in his Gospel tells us that all things were made through the Word And that word was life, and that life was the light of man. What the Apostle Apostle John is doing there in chapter 1 is explaining to us the greatness of this man from Nazareth, the Lord Jesus Christ. And here he's saying that Jesus is really the basis of everything. We only learn about life and about ourselves when we learn about Him. But the easy life then, the life that rejects Jesus, that's like missing the critical ingredient for life. Or that's like going against the grain of the universe because the Son of God is fundamental to all of existence. And when you go against the grain of the universe, as my pastor liked to say when I was growing up, you will get splinters. So this simpleness, this turning away is not so innocent. Sure, this seems to be more passive. This isn't like the intense hatred of the atheist. But this laziness in mind and soul, this thick-headedness, is still a rejection of God, and it is then a rejection of life, the way it was meant to be. That's the first reason why this is self-destructive. Secondly, there are also troubles that come along in life, and they will come, and the simple person and the fool are just not prepared for them. And you can be sort of simple. You can be rather innocent and you can stay out of serious trouble. You can be a smooth talker. You know, you're good at thinking on your feet. But then there are storms that can be survived only because you have prepared. That's what the Lord Jesus Christ points out in Matthew chapter 7. Two men building houses. And for the most part, those houses might have looked identical. 
They both look like good houses. But then the storms come, and one man's house collapses, but the other stands firm. Now, why did that one man's house stand firm? Was it because, you know, he was strong in his faith? Was it because he was a hopeful, optimistic fellow? It's more simple and it's harder than that. He stood firm, not because he had a strong faith as such, but because his life was about obedience, listening to his God and Savior. And that prepared him for the storm. There are storms in life, in all sorts of ways. There will be a day of judgment for all of us. You know, this pandemic should be teaching us that we should stop saying and thinking, it's never going to happen. It's always going to be life as usual. No, it will happen. This pandemic is just the tip of the iceberg. We will all stand before the courts of heaven and be judged. And that means today you need to listen to your God and Savior. And by listening, I mean doing. Today and not tomorrow. In every moment of your life, this needs to be your creed. I will listen. I will trust and obey, for there's no other way. Anything else will be a false confidence. I know who dares consider that today. That somebody could be having a false confidence. It almost seems like you're judging someone to say that. But just because you are at ease does not mean you actually have reason to be calm. Just because you're having a great time doesn't mean you will have a great time. Great times were had on the Titanic. Even for a while after it hit the iceberg. The road to hell is not a hard road at all. The Lord Jesus Christ tells us it's a broad way, a highway. There is a rest of being at ease that is deadly. But there's also a rest of being at ease that is a gift from God. And that's the second verse of our text. But whoever listens to me will dwell secure and be at ease without dread of disaster, says wisdom. And notice a few things about this. First of all, there's an invitation here, a personal one. Whoever listens to me. Wisdom looks at every single one of us. Whoever listens to me, she says. Do not think this promise is not for you. Whoever listens to me. 
That's what your life is about. Listening. That's always the question in life. What are you listening? Who are you listening to? Of course, listening, yeah, that, that's more than just hearing. That's, that's obeying. We are always listening to someone or something. That's never the question. The question is, who or what are you obeying? Secondly, look at the promise here. Whoever listens to me will dwell secure and be at ease. Now, how can this particular promise, especially in our day and age, not excite you? When we live in such uncertainty, that's life in a fallen world, there's such a weight that we are carrying in this fallen world, whether we are conscious of it or not. I heard the other day of this thing, Corona Somnia. Have you heard that? Because people aren't sleeping well with all the fear and panic that we get a daily dose of. We have a pandemic of anxiety. I do point out that anxiety is what happens when you think that you're in control, but find out you're actually not. Anxiety has a darker side to it than you might think at first. When I'm anxious, I wonder, have I been trying to be God in my life, trying to be in control, trying to manage my life on my own, and it's sort of fallen apart? Wisdom will lead us out of all of that. Because wisdom begins with and is founded upon the fear of the Lord. And that's just what our anxious and fearful hearts need more of. More fear. But fear of our God. That beautiful trembling before Him in His majesty and glory. There is a way the world and life was supposed to work. You know, First Nations peoples often stress this. There's a kind of harmony in creation. The ancient Israelites would also stress that, but they would be very quick to deepen that ethically and spiritually. There's a greater harmony than just sort of in nature. Great peace is theirs who honor and obey. We read in Isaiah, great peace is given to you when you follow wisdom and walk in the ways of God. Because those are the ways in which you were meant to walk. Those are the ways in which things are meant to be. God's ways are solid and firm, unlike the ways of sin. There is a strength to them. And they give strength to others. Our Lord Jesus Christ says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light, and you will find rest for your souls. The Lord Jesus Christ brings rest. Even when He calls us to take up our cross 
and follow him, he also grants us his blood and his spirit. This call of wisdom, this promise of wisdom here in chapter 1, do you see? It is so fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. To be at peace, to not even have dread of disaster, that belongs to those who know the Lord Jesus Christ. Our Savior places us in His care, under the care of our Heavenly Father. That's why we'll sing in a moment from hymn 64 that we are not our own, but belong both in body and soul and life and death to our faithful God and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We have a Savior who has defeated every enemy that we could ever face, even death itself. And He promises us too a, a new life without any fear or uncertainty. In this life, there's always the, the if, the, the, the what if. There's 101 things you can find to worry about each and every day. What is the answer to all that? Is there anything in this broken and fallen world that does not have a, an if about it? You find it here only in the Lord Jesus Christ. He is Wisdom. That one who hangs upon a cross, who is raised from the dead, who ascends in glory, who will return, who pours out His Spirit upon us, who leads us by His Word, to be rooted in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, that is wisdom. There is no if. Not the slightest reason for uncertainty about anything of what he does or is or promises. The world will tempt you. Sin does as well. With all sorts of security and confidences that really do not amount to anything. And then there is the Lord Jesus Christ. And he is the true and certain, the all men of God. All men.